This is the Wesson Walker Show. And a moral lesson is told at the end of each episode. One notable episode is one called The Price, in which a boy buys a drug called Spin. He was smoking that Spin. It's Wes. Becomes addicted to it and dies of an overdose. We need oh, no. more cartoons like that these days for these badass. And Walker. Will these kids die of drugs? Yes, so they can Sounds learn their lesson visible. and know not to do it. If somebody fictional dies, they'll learn not to do it in okay. non-fiction. You know what I'm saying? And for that it. reason, <laughs> Marshall Bravestar, Tex-Hex, New Texas is straight. Fire! I had to ask him figure Bravestar, but my mom wouldn't let me get Tex-Hex. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNZ. Oh, come on, Mom. Why didn't you do that? You said it was too demonic. Well, maybe it's because a kid died of drugs. your favorite, the Wesson Walker Show, back for a couple of days, then off for New Year's Day, and then we're right back at you again, in it for the long haul. After that, on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ, keep those texts coming on the Charlotte Men's Clinic, text line 704-570-9610. We are excited to be back, loving to see the text line good and lively with some welcoming messages, and then those of you that love to troll doing what you do best. What you got over there, Walker? Oh, I don't have anything. Oh. I was just going to say that Brock Purdy, lots of uh, hater texts for Brock and for your conversations there. Also, UNC. Like, the haters are out, whether it be going against your San Francisco 49ers. <laughs> got some Bryce haterade text, despite him having his best performance. And now, as we tease with the North Carolina comment, how it was, what, like 75, 25, 80, 20 West Virginia fans showing up here. Yeah. Now we got some North Carolina haters on the text line, which I'm sure... You're at least a little bit of a fan of. Well, you know, coming into the game yesterday, I knew they had opt-outs at key positions, so I don't know what I expected. You know, I was just like, hey, you know, get to see some of the future kids that are going to be playing for these guys, uh, especially West Virginia. You know, they had their pretty good quarterback, Garrett Green, was out there playing in that game. So, uh, you know, the outcome wasn't completely surprising. So let's get into it. Time for the campus counter. Last one of 2023, folks. And so we talk about Carolina playing yesterday in this football game. Let's get straight to that one. Connor Harrell completed 18 of 27 passes, 199 yards. Two interceptions, though, constantly under pressure all day long. I think Fiddy could have got out there and got a sack on his Tar Heels the way <laughs> that they were blocking. As I said, Garrett Green for West Virginia had 228 yards through the air, 64 on the ground. West Virginia had 392 yards of offense, but it was the first time that the Tar Heels were held scoreless in a half since the second half of the 2022 ACC championship game. And that was also the last time that the Tar Heels were held to less than 20 points. I mean, West Virginia got after seven sacks on the day. They held Omari and Hampton to 62 yards. Uh, Powell Echoes, though, on a positive note, in his homecoming, uh, had 10 tackles for the football game. And, I mean, at one point, this was a North Carolina program that was ranked one spot ahead of Alabama in the AP Top 25, but a 2-5 and five finish. You had some Carolina fans, man. Saw Josh Graham and some others really getting at North Carolina football fans that are thumbing their nose at an eight-win season, not very happy about it. So, Fiddy, I'll start with you first. Uh, what are your thoughts on Carolina season, their performance yesterday? And are you, sir, thumbing your nose at eight wins in Chapel Hill? 
Only because you got the number two pick playing quarterback, is that a reason to be upset um, because you, you wasted a generational talent? But I mean, I, I feel like the fan base has to come to a realization like this is who we are. This is what we do. We go eight and four, eight and five, year in, year out, even when we have great players and we have great talent. You'll have the outlier 11-1 year under Larry Fedora. You'll have the outlier year under Mac Brown where you got to, I think, number three in the country in the AP poll at one point. But outside of that, like, this is who you are. This is this is in your DNA. And, you know, I wasn't upset at the result last night because I saw things from Connor Harrell that makes me believe he could be a good quarterback. I saw things from, you know, Amari Campbell that could be a good linebacker beside Power Eccles next year. And that's what the bowl game is about. You shouldn't care about the result. It's about getting to see the next group of guys go in there and play. And I think you saw enough to be excited that this program can be competitive next year, moving on from Drake May. You are right in that North Carolina is an eight-win football team because that's what they've been the last few games and uh, last few years. And every fan base, every program is going to undergo an outlier-type season. That happens with every single college football program that there is. I understand why fans are upset, though. Wes, this team started 6-0. and mm-hmm. With Drake May at QB, the defense having played better to that point, all you needed them to do was be an average unit. Rather than the bar being on the floor last year, all you had to do was even be, what, ranked 100th in the country to be better than what they were last year? If you could get them to a competent level, then this was a team that had a real shot to go back to the ACC championship. But think about how the stars looked like they were going to align for you at the end. This was an ACC conference that seemed like it was ripe for the picking. Clemson, another down season. Florida State, I would have loved to have seen what that healthy you know, North Florida State team would have looked like against North Carolina, even though I think the Seminoles win. But I would have liked to have seen that at least. But the defense falls off a cliff in the second half of the year. Drake May has bad performances against two of the top defensive units when they don't even show up against NC State. That game was over as soon as the ball was up in the air. Like, I can understand why the Carolina fan base is checked out. Because if you go to NC State... Whether Mac Brown tells us beating Duke is the most important they, thing they do or not, fan base here, the Carolina fan base, I think would rather beat NC State in football than even Duke. I think that's true of the football team. Not basketball, but a football, I think that's true. So if you get squashed immediately and you lose close games, you lose blowouts against your rival, you have an awful collapse two years in a row, the second half of the season. I do think it's okay for North Carolina to want more if you set yourself up for success in the first half of the season. If you come into each year thinking, oh, well, I, I want an ACC championship. If it's not that, then screw the football team. That's a little lofty. But as everything does, things can adapt, things can change. And when you go 6-0, and Wes, and you got three next games against who Campbell is in there, Virginia at that point. I forget who the other team was in that three-game sample. Georgia Tech. There you go. You lose to two of them. The only school you beat was a school that's not even in a Power 5 conference. It's okay to be upset two years in a row with that guy at QB who might go number one overall, maybe number two or three, and then fall off a cliff like that. My, my whole point is, yeah, it's okay for them to be upset. Well, the thing for me, and I keep trying to tell folks, and I know folks in the know know, but listen, man, it doesn't matter if you have a guy the caliber of Drake May, how great he is. 
when you're 64th in the nation in sacks and then you're 108th in sacks allowed, you're not going to win anymore. Drake May should get an award for winning the games that he did win and the fact that they didn't play any defenses that could have really exploited those things. Until the North Carolina program gets on par up front with Florida State and Clemson, they're never going to compete for championships consistently. You might have a year like you did with Marquise Williams and the crew where they're able to get up in there, win 11 games, get the job done. But they're not good enough up front on either side of the ball to really be able to compete with the Clemsons and the FSUs and even this year the Louisvilles. But Lord knows we're going to talk about that. But the Carolinas got to get better up front on both sides of the ball. They haven't had a menacing defensive line in God knows when. And that's what I think is holding them back from really going to the next level. Well, and the other thing, too, like Fiddy's not wrong in saying that it's in their DNA. Why does that mean I shouldn't be upset about it, though? We've seen teams overcome a bad reputation and get to a point where they're actually respected. Hey, let's look at the Blue Devils. Let's look at the team that is only eight miles away and see when they would lose and lose and lose and they weren't even thought of as having a football team in the first place and let alone being a good one. But what happens? Dave Cutcliffe comes over as a good hire and rebuilds that program from the ground up and here they are respectable. Here's a guy that also at the end of his tenure there wasn't working out. They move on. They have another good hire in Mike Elko. And now, okay, we're talking about two coaches that have had successful seasons in Durham. And what happened? The DNA changed with that football program. Like if you're North Carolina, it's okay to want more. You're right. You shouldn't expect more because that's probably just going to set yourself up for failure going in. But it's okay to want it. And especially when you get set up as a 6-0 and record the first half of that season. Remember the second half collapsed last year. It, it's, it's just the mirage that is good Carolina football. Like, I, I don't want it to be a part of the DNA if I'm a Carolina fan. And we've seen teams get over that before. Why can't it be North Carolina? Well, it's because, like, why can't it be them with Drake May and for them to continue to go back down to what they've always been? Yeah, I can understand why fans are so disappointed every single year. Yeah, you got to go find those war daddies, though, man, yeah. and then things will change. All right, so Florida State Seminoles still at it, and they've been taking a lot of heat, though. 20 opt-outs for the bowl game against Georgia. Jared Verse not playing. Trey Benson's not playing. Keon Coleman, Johnny Wilson, all of these guys aren't playing. Not all these guys are going to be first-round picks, which is another thing that, that trips me out about this whole situation. But I agree with a lot of the folks out there who have been talking about how Florida State, you talked about how you how bad you felt about being left out of the playoffs and, and things of that nature. But to me, it doesn't speak highly of this program that when you do have the chance to go out and show everybody and prove to people, hey, we're going to go out and beat the Georgia Bulldogs. If you want to go out and for people to call you partial national champions and to really recognize what you've done. And now just because by players opting out, you're telling me you don't think that you're the same team. And I get it. They're like, oh, the meaningless bowl game. And I want to get to the pros and get the money, this, that, and the third. Well, for one, like I said, most of these guys aren't going to be high picks anyway. So I think they're getting bad advice in my opinion. But for Florida State now, Tate Rotomaker is not playing. He's in the portal. The guy that you told me was capable of getting you into the playoffs and having you compete with the best teams in the country. Well, him getting into the portal just told me that you don't even think he's good enough to compete for the starting job next year. He's not getting into the portal for no reason. He's getting in there because 
Norvell and the crew are on that transfer portal trail, and they're going to bring in somebody that they perceive to be an upgrade. And then Florida State quarterback Brock Glenn said that the Seminoles should absolutely be considered national champions if they end the season as the only Power 5 team in college football. Well, I'll tell you right now, if the Georgia Bulldogs lose to Florida State with Brock Glenn manning the helm as they played against Louisville, and we saw what that offense looked like, Kirby Kirby Smart should be removed immediately if they lose to the Seminoles. You just went fitty. You went full fitty right (laughs) there. Yeah, because that's not going (laughs) to happen. Him saying that, I like pie, you like pie, we all do here. But that is pie in the sky, and I'm not going up that far to get that. But what do we make of Florida State, all of the opt-outs and all of the mess that they've been talking, not to mention filing the lawsuit now against the ACC and all of that stuff going on, which is, to me, much ado about nothing. Because I talked to a couple people that work in athletic departments in the ACC and said that their case has some teeth, but not teeth enough to sink deeply and for them to get out of this thing. So what do we make of Florida State in this game? All of the opt-outs, lawsuit, etc. Well, Florida State has been getting on ACC fans' nerves for, I don't know, the better part of two years now, especially the last year and a half, when all we were doing coming into this college football season was talking about conference realignment and how Florida State desperately wanted to get out of the ACC. And here they were putting together a good season. They were undefeated at the end of the regular season, including the ACC championship. So good on them. But Florida State had fallen off quite a bit over the last decade, really, as Jimbo Fisher leaves and they win that championship. Florida State was trying to act like we belong in the same conversation as an Alabama, as a Georgia, as an Ohio State, when that wasn't the case for close to 10 years. Congratulations. You got back there this season, and so you have a little more clout. But you don't have enough, and here they are being annoying once again. What I'll tell you about the players, though, is I can understand why you have all of these opt-outs. I would not expect these guys to opt out if they were in the playoff because we have not seen that yet. High-profile guys just decide to sit out with the opportunity to compete for a championship. But also, I think if they beat Georgia, it would be very similar to what we saw with UCF winning their bowl game against Auburn when they finished the regular season undefeated. We'd move the goalposts and we wouldn't care because Georgia's going to have opt-outs too. And I think when Georgia doesn't have Brock Bowers out there, who wasn't spotted getting off of the plane when they arrived to the destination for this bowl game, when you have Amarius Mims, the right tackle, leaving the SEC championship. A couple guys that are injured, sure, but I think when you go to Florida State and evaluate whether they were legit or not, you'd go to a couple of the better players for Georgia and say, oh, well, they didn't play either. I think that Florida State is anticipating that, and also just the players want to get ready for the NFL anyway. I don't blame the players nearly as much for sitting out the way they are. I think if they won, I don't think they would get all that much more credit. Plus, if they get credit, then what does it do for them? They can hang the trophy on their mantle where, hey, fans kind of like us a little bit more now. Well, I don't necessarily care about that trophy. I don't think the players do either. So they're getting ready for the next stage of their career. I think it goes both sides because if Georgia, if they beat Georgia, even if they don't have Brock Bowers, then people could say, yeah, you know, it's Georgia. They don't really, the the classic, they didn't care about this game, whatever, whatever. Right. But Carson Beck is playing in this game. Georgia's still super talented. There's still going to be a lot of talented players on that field. And Georgia's going to come to play, I think. And for Florida State, to me, this was a tremendous opportunity for them to get their fourth undefeated season as a program, for them to really go out and say, hey, we're going to show everybody why we should have been in the playoffs. Let's go back for this last ride. You know how I feel, though, uh, about these guys sitting out of these bowl games. I think it should be a provision to be put in. Once you sign up for the season, you have to play the season or not. Either you're going to play the entire season or you sit out. How many guys would you lose out on? That's fine. 
going to the L.A. Fitness Club and work out and get ready for the doggone NFL. But, but that, I think if you're playing, you should play in these games. All these superstars over the course of history that have played in their final game and been just fine and still been NFL draft picks and high draft picks, but people want to point to one or two guys and be like, oh, they, they stand a chance to get hurt and lose their careers. Come on, man. We rarely see that happen. All these great players that have played in these games, nothing's happened to them, I, so I'm not feeling No, I hear you. I know that if I was a fan and I lost out on Drake May as a Carolina fan and instead we had to roll with Connor Harrell because Mac Brown had a provision that you had to play the bowl game and Drake said, no, nah, I'm going to go to one of these other schools that doesn't have that provision and now you don't even have an eight-win team. Yeah, I think it should be across to? the board. Well, I don't know if that would, but right. If, if it wasn't, like if yeah. this was just individual schools putting yeah. this in place, yeah. Those coaches would be fired immediately. You think so? I th- I think so. Like, especially if it led to losing some of these. Now, maybe not Lincoln Riley, because it doesn't matter who you put in at QB. They're just going <laughs> to set records. Yeah, really quick, though, uh, talking about that game, man. I thought that was an embarrassing loss for the ACC to come out and get smashed like that, especially getting held in check uh, offensively. Only 361 total yards, one of the worst defenses in college football. Miller Moss came out, six touchdowns, 372 yards. I was embarrassed for the ACC, (laughs) to be frank. The the perceived second-best team in the conference this year to get smacked like that by Southern Cal completely unacceptable and uh the jury's out to me now with, with brian brahm and the crew the way they finished this season uh they look like a lot of fools gold as to how they showed up in these last two games well it, i saw somebody tweet this out and it's exactly the thought i had it, quarterback's just never going to be a problem with lincoln riley and that's the most important position you have to get right and so when we talk about lincoln riley and his job security you could go seven and five eight and five at the end of the bowl season and you could be disappointed at usc that might get you fired i'm not saying it wouldn't happen but you're always going to be interested in lincoln riley as a head coach i know i would be for any program outside of alabama georgia some of the other schools that i mentioned like that's somebody that's always going to have a stud at the most important position in sports. He just might fool around and win the Heisman. And so that's going to get that guy a job borderline anywhere he wants to, if yeah. not all but like two or three schools. Yeah, it is. But he coaches a soft brand of I football. Hear you. He does. teams can never play defense or run the ball that great. But anyway, when we come back, is Ben Johnson talk about another head coach on the rise worth fifth. million dollars that and more this is weston walker sports radio 927 wfnz weston walker back on sports radio 927 wfnz is ben johnson the Lions offensive coordinator worth $15 million a year. Million. Text us on the Carolina men's no, text no. line 704-570-9610. The only problem with you playing that soundbite is it sounds like Wes in real time. <laughs> I think most of the people that get the inside joke realize that that is coming from the overview that is coming from upon us from the heavens that he is deciding to play that soundbite, but it's not Wes live. I don't know how you feel about this. I am. I am. 15 million. That's the report, right? So just to get people up to speed on Thursday, a week ago, Justina Anderson of CBS Sports posted on second or third hand chatter regarding Johnson's anticipated salary expectations. This coming in from Mike Florio. Quote, I'm told personnel around the league are discussing their awareness that some owners have been told Lions OC Ben Johnson's asking price is at least or around 
$15 million per season for a head coach job. Jeff Risden of USA Today spotted what was a snarky response from Ben Johnson's agent, Richmond Flowers III. Oh, that sounds like royalty. Quote, <laughs> I'm told personnel around the league are discussing their awareness that there is no asking price or demand, and this tweet is 100% false and irresponsible reporting per source. So that's the sarcastic comment from Ben Johnson's agent disputing the report from Josina. Lastly, in this saga, Josina does say that she stands by her reporting, which Standing makes sense. on business. Well, and it makes sense because Josina is saying she's hearing from owners. Yeah. It doesn't, she didn't say she necessarily heard it from Ben Johnson's agent. So it's not irresponsible reporting, but you can understand the agent trying to get out in front of this, whatever. All that to be said, if this is true, and I can believe it, Wes, because I don't, I shouldn't say I don't remember a coordinator being this hot in the last couple of years. Like, I'm sure we can find some examples. We've seen it. Mike McDaniel was a pretty celebrated guy when he was hired with Miami. But Ben Johnson, man, he is the guy I think most people would point to and say, that's my number one option. We flat out know it from David Tepper. It's probably his number one option last year. Now we have the Chargers that might be in the mix. We have a bunch of teams. Do you think Ben Johnson is worth $15 million a year? And how much of a problem would you have with David Tepper paying it if he is indeed the number one target? Fitty, play it again. You got it for me? No, hell no. Yeah, let's get, let's get to it. All right, so uh, I respect what he's doing in Detroit. No question about it. And I think that David Tepper has put himself in this position with the environment that he's created because I'm sure that Deuce Staley, I'm not even going to say allegedly, but I'm sure that Deuce Staley has probably – let Ben Johnson know what the work environment is like in Carolina by now. I don't know what their relationship is like, but I would guess. I won't say uh, I feel strongly about it. I would guess they that have he ties has. together, right? Yeah, makes I sense. would guess that he has. But when you look at the top ten highest paid coaches in sports in this country, Belichick is one at twenty five, Peyton is two at eighteen million, Popovich sixteen, and then you get to the fifteen mil range that they're talking about that is occupied in the NFL currently by Pete Carroll and Sean McVay two coaches that currently have championships in their resume, and then there's Kyle Shanahan at number six. So, no, I, I think that is a very steep price for a guy that, yes, I like Detroit's offense. I think that they are uh, pretty potent, but they only average 27.5 points a game. It's not like we're talking about the greatest show on turf. It's not like we're talking about this groundbreaking offense that he's put in. He's got two great backs. He grounds and pounds it. He plays the play-action game with Jared Goff and finds his receivers. And he's got some pretty good ones, but I don't feel like he's doing anything groundbreaking or anything that I just go, wow, this guy's ahead of his time. He looks like the next Bill Walsh. I'm not going to say that. But at the same time, if that's the price that the Panthers have to pay to get him, I feel like it's uh, partially because, like I said, of the environment that's been created here. Ben Johnson turned down the opportunity to come here because I think he could have gotten a job. I think there was a strong possibility he could have gotten a job last year. Uh, but he passed up the opportunity to pursue it. And so I think to pay a guy such a hefty salary that has proven nothing, and his offense is very good, but they're not lighting the world on fire – it's a risky proposition, but if the Panthers had to pay it to get the guy that they really want, if that's truly who they really want and feel strongly about, they can take them to the Lombardi. I mean, I wouldn't feel bad about it, but I don't think he deserves that caliber salary. I'm here to tell you no one should care how much their head coach is making. No one should care mm. because it doesn't count against the salary cap. So now it's not like that is limiting you to pay other guys that could help your football team. David Tepper is the second wealthiest owner in the NFL. He's got a lot of money and he showed you that 
when he was willing to spend all of this money on an all-star cast like he did this past season. Now, I can already see the text coming in. Yeah, he already did this, Walker. What makes you think it's going to work this time? How'd it work out this last period? Well, Frank Reich, I would not call the hottest coaching candidate out there this offseason. Edro Overo uh, was, as far as a defensive mind, and I would say that worked out pretty well. He might leave for a head coaching job this next offseason. But David Tepper throwing money at these guys, it doesn't necessarily matter to me at all. Matt Rule got a lot of money. There was a market for him. Matt Rule called the Giants organization once he got the offer from David Tepper, tried to parlay that into an even bigger contract than what he already got, which was monstrous for a first-year guy coming into the NFL after college. Giants said, no, I'm good on that. That's too much. And then he decided to coach for Carolina. Ben Johnson, if this is true, which we don't know, but if this is true, then Ben Johnson is doing exactly what these other NFL players do. He's playing the market. But what say you to the message it sends the money that he's being paid? That That's my only thing. I, I get what you're saying about it's not affecting the roster like that, but the message that it's sending paying a guy that kind of money that hasn't accomplished a whole heck of a lot. Well, that might be true, but it just means that you wanted this guy to be the head coach over some of the other teams, and you wanted him badly enough. You could mm-hmm. afford it, and you were willing to shell that out. Because what does it say about Matt Rule? Like that that's the example I go back to. No, it wasn't fifteen million. He wasn't getting close to Greg Popovich money. He got a lot. But he got a ton immediately. I don't know how much the players look at that and think, Oh man, I better respect him. He's making fifteen million dollars a year. You're gonna respect him based off of how he's doing as a head coach in the locker room and out there on the field. And so I don't care. I really don't. You wanna talk about Brian Burns contract, we might debate that a little bit. That limits directly what you can do with other resources. So I'm here all day for trying to figure out what he should get paid. Ben Johnson paying $20 million. Like, I don't care. I, I don't know about what message it sends and how much it would affect the record. I don't. For me, pay him whatever you want. If that's your number one target, and David Tepper has all this money and he's willing to spend it on the guy that he wants more so than anybody else, cool, pay him whatever you want to. Yeah, I mean, look, if, if money is the, you know... I don't think if, if money's what's going to motivate Ben Johnson to take the job, do you want that guy to be your head football coach? Just because Dave Tepper can pay you the most? Like, and I'll draw my parallel. My baseball team has the richest owner in baseball. Craig Council was the hottest baseball manager commodity this baseball season. He leaves Milwaukee for Chicago for five years, $40 million. $8 million a year. By far the highest paid manager in baseball since Joe Torre the Yankees when he won you know four championships in five years. That pissed off the baseball world. Are you really want? Are you if you give Ben Johnson fifteen million a year, a guy that's never coached a single game in the NFL, that's going to piss off a lot of teams and a lot of owners. But who? Why? But why do I care? You don't have the cachet. Like, dude, a Jerry Jones, a one of those owners, you could do that. Dave Tupper hasn't done enough in the NFL to go here pissing everybody off. Why do I care about that? Well, because I mean, look, we, we know how much the, the NFL is a brotherhood, like, and we know how much. But it, why do I? I'm I don't care. Yeah, he's saying as the fans, though. Like, why? Why, why do I care if David Tepper is pissing off Jerry Jones? Who cares? Well, I mean, because it's going to. What, gonna what make, are they going to? I don't. I don't care about David Tepper's relationship with these other owners. I really don't. So, so you, but you'd be you'd be okay with giving Ben Johnson fifteen million dollars. 
Yes, I'd be just fine with it. And then, I, what, okay and, then, with, and then what if Brian Burns leaves and Dave Tepper says, well, I'm paying my head coach $15 million. I couldn't afford him. Because they're in Because that's going to happen. Okay, well, it's in a different rule sets. If Ben Johnson's salary counted against the cap, then we have a very real discussion to be had. But it doesn't. It just doesn't matter. Brian Burns, by the way, is asking for double what Ben Johnson would be getting. So Brian Burns is going to be fine. But these other guys, like if you wanted to bring up, I don't know, whoever, like I don't care what David Tepper's relationship is with the other owners. It does not affect what's going to happen out there on the football field. The best straw man argument you can come up with in that scenario is that it might affect their ability to do trades with one another. But I don't want David Tepper involved in trades. I want my GM to be involved in trades. Yeah, it would put him right at third in the NFL overall in salary time with Pete Carroll if he gets the $15 million number. Pay him if you want to get him. I don't even know if Ben Johnson's going to get $15 million. We don't know if this is even true, but the market dictates what he's going to get, just like it does when we talk about some of these players. Especially if he has multiple bidders. There's going to be multiple teams going after him. There's not another guy that I've heard celebrated as much as this guy being the number one target for all of these other teams. I'm not saying that there's not a coach that's going to come in and do a better job. There, there might be. Nobody knows. That's the beautiful part about all of this. But Ben Johnson is going to be the most pursued coach this entire offseason. You can bring in Jim Harbaugh. You can bring in Frank Smith from Miami, whoever you want to. But if it comes down to a bidding war, just like we see with players in free agency or whoever, then Carolina might have to pony up a little bit more. Same thing with the Chargers if they want them. Like the Spanos family doesn't really pay like that. This, this is the advantage with Tepper here. We're looking for somebody with David Tepper where, okay, how can that guy be a good owner? It's him not being cheap. Think about how many owners are criticized for not wanting to spend money and only caring about a profit. He clearly cares about a profit. I don't want to get it too twisted, but I like my owner spending a lot of money. Love it. Bring in Ben Johnson if he's the number one guy. It doesn't count against the cap. I don't care what his relationship is with the other owners. I'm not even sure that it would piss off the other owners. I'm not even completely sure about that because if it gets up to 15 million, that means the other owners were in on this too. David Tepper giving him $15 million for, uh, compared to another team only giving him like 10 that means you could just negotiate it against yourself, and that doesn't make any sense. And we know that David Tepper is not necessarily going to do that as a smart businessman. So if it gets up to 15 that means other teams were willing to pay him 11 12 13 14 And so at that point, what's the difference between a million or two million per season? Yeah, pay him the money if you want him. I yeah. just don't know. How many times do you see teams that buy players, buy coaches as a translate to success? Like, I, I saw it firsthand with my baseball team. I know it's a different sport. You had the highest payroll in baseball history, and you finished fourth in your division. So, like, how many in, in, in the... In the, the oh, NFL, I, don't know if it, I don't know if it means success. I also don't think that that's an, an exact recipe to work against them. So, I mean, I'm just trying to, like, play... I'm trying to play devil's advocate here. Let's say you go out and you buy... You, 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 you bid for him. And then he's not the guy. Do you do you feel worse that you gave another losing head football coach $15 million? No, because you just move on just like you did with Matt Rule. We wanted to move on from him sooner. Carolina did it. And the only thing is if David Tepper doesn't care enough about his ego to where he's cool to move on from guys after giving him a big contract, let's go to Frank Reich. I know Frank Reich didn't get this monster contract, but David Tepper said, no, nah, this ain't good enough 11 games in. If he's willing to do that, it would be harder with Ben Johnson, no disputing that, but he'll just move on if it doesn't work out. Like 
if you want Ben Johnson, if he's the best candidate, which I do think he is, by the way. Over Jim Harbaugh, a guy that's a proven winner in the NFL. But I don't think Harbaugh... I'm just not sure that he's going to be an NFL guy, but I get it to your argument. Like, I get Go it. Ahead, if you want a Jim Harbaugh, that's fine. I think if I want my coach to have some staying power, then Ben Johnson might be the guy, and you could keep him here because as much as I would love to see the content with David Tepper and Jim Harbaugh, I, I think Ben Johnson is really impressive. I think Mike McDonald, the Ravens defensive coordinator, is another guy that that I think is right up there too. I mean, people aren't people are talking about him, but not in the same vein. They are Ben Johnson, which we get it because it's yeah. offense over defense. But when you look at what he's been able to do, uh, you know, he came back to him after coming from Michigan, but in twenty twenty two the Ravens had a top five defense in multiple categories and number three scoring defense and this year they're number one uh, in scoring defense again. And this is a guy I think would be a great candidate, especially if he has a great offensive philosophy and a guy that he has in mind that he wants to bring in to be his OC. Oh, no, I'm with you. Mike McDonald is the best defensive coordinator in football right now. I think that's correct. I don't know who would be better than him. I mean, he's up there. Yeah, I don't like after what he did to my team in that game setting, shutting down an offense that had been bludgeoning other teams. I mean, that that was impressive. The way that he disguises coverages week to week and almost sets up these offensive coordinators to think they're going to do one thing, but then do another. And he's got the pieces to do it. Baltimore has drafted and traded for excellent players on that side of the ball. And so Jimmy's in Joe's league. It clearly is going to help the coordinators do what they're supposed to do. But Mike McDonald is doing a great job with fantastic players on that side of the ball as well. And so both sides deserve some respect. Last thing I wanted to hit on before we move on the defensive or offensive head coach decision. I, I that's been more interesting as I've looked at it. And so I'm interested to hear what you guys think about this because If you look at the most successful coaches within a last five-year sample, okay? Like, feel free to tell me if I'm missing anyone here, but I came up with a top four list that most people would agree on. Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, Andy Reid, John Harbaugh. I think in the last five years, those guys are in a different category. I think that's right. So then if we go to coaches, most fan bases would hate to see their team lose, excluding first-year guys like D'Amico Ryan's doing a great job, Steichen too. I'm not going to count them yet just because I want more games. But coaches, most fan bases would hate to see their team lose as a head coach. Same four, Shanahan, McVay, Reed, Harbaugh. I think Mike McDaniel's already up there. I think Dan Campbell is there. And maybe even specifically that fan base because they've gone through so much losing. Like that's a little bit different, but I think Campbell's up there. Nick Sirianni, here we are saying it's a little bit of a bad year for them and they still have double-digit wins before you have a couple more games to go. I think he's still up there. And so if you have coaches who seem to have staying power but aren't quite on that list yet, I go Kevin O'Connell, Zach Taylor, Kevin Stefanski. I I think this is the right category to break all this up in. All that to say, man, there's not many defensive coaches up there. Like Sean McDermott is the one that you could go to with a ton of wins the last five years, but we've even talked about him losing his job. It feels like the offensive-minded guys in recent history are the coaches with the staying power. And it doesn't mean that I would be opposed to hiring Averro as the head coach. It doesn't mean that I would be so opposed to hiring Mike McDonald as the head coach. And I, and I think Todd Bowles deserves his credit for what he's been able to do in Tampa this year. Yeah. He's a defensive guy. But also, it's the offense that's been playing so much better this yeah, year. Yeah, but his defense has, you know, he's a defensive head coach, though. For him to have the foresight to bring in the Baker Mayfield and the year that he's had and all of those types of things. 
Is that I think more Jason Light than Todd Bowles? I think it's the GM. I mean, a little bit. Todd Bowles, at the end of the day, the head coaches still have their win-loss record, and they get credit for what's being done. Everybody thought that they were done after Tom Brady left the building, and for them to be sitting there on the precipice of an NFC South championship, I, mean, I think we have to include him in that conversation well, as far as representing the defensive side. Yeah, they might miss the playoffs. But yeah, so you don't want to give him any credit, basically, is what you're telling me. Not in the same way that McDermott is getting it. <laughs> no, I, I think it's fine. I think he's a good defensive coordinator. I think when uh-huh. we talk about head coaches, McDermott uh-huh. is clearly in a class above Todd Bowles right now, I, especially with the defensive talent that they have with Tampa. Like, they got – anyways, what I'm saying is it feels like the guys with the staying power that are good coaches, mm-hmm. man, they tend to be offensive guys the last five years. Like, it doesn't mean that's the only way to do it. That's not what I'm saying. But if you wanted to play percentages, man, the offensive coaches are the ones that are out here staying a long time and having the most success. Yeah, and I, I'll give you that. But but also now we we got to look at this thing from both sides because the 49ers, as good as Kyle Shanahan is, that defense has certainly been they've the been driving great. force for them to be as good as they've been. Baltimore, you look at them, kind of same deal. Even the Dolphins, the Dolphins offensively are fantastic. But their defense has really stepped it up as of late. That's put them on that next level. I'm glad you brought that up, though, because we have defensive coordinators for each of those guys that Mm -hmm. haven't necessarily been great as head coaches. Vic Fangio got fired, and that's the defensive coordinator down in Miami. Yeah, we know defensive coordinator is his forte. That's what he does. But I was going to say, too, with the Eagles. Robert Sala, the same thing. Like, he's questioned now. you know. I was going to say with the Eagles, as good as they were last season, that defense, you know, 70 sacks last year during the regular season, like that defense was lights yeah. out too. So. And and Gannon, and to be fair, Gannon is a guy that I included with D'Amico. Just yeah. first-year coaches, who knows what the hell we're getting. But I yeah. think Gannon's done a great job with that team. Mm. You know, weird social media video, be damned. <laughs> John Gannon has done a good and job. Cleveland, certainly, their defense has been a driving force. They've been, they have been, but think – Think about Stefanski with four different QBs yeah. winning games out here with PJ. Yeah, That's an offensive guy. This is true, but when your defense is getting you the ball back a lot too, that that'll help those quarterbacks oh, be able to transition. But this is all right. But I'm not saying no. That. He deserves full credit. I'm just saying that some of these guys too, these offensive gurus, they're making smart have hires. Had nasty defense. They're making yeah. smart hires. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No doubt. And, and the defense has been incredible. Yeah, Cleveland's mm-hmm. defense. Yeah, no shade out. towards them. Yeah, no shade towards them. them. All right, we can revisit that maybe a little bit later on into the week. But we have fire or fizzle still the coming. The final one. This is the last one of 2023. Find out if we end it with a bang. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. I was going back in the Wesson Walker Twitter timeline archives, and I saw that we did a top storyline to 2022 fire or fizzle before the turn of this year. I mean, it's only right. That's what you got to do. And so you brought it back. Now, this is officially the last fire or fizzle of 2023. Mm -hmm. And so here you are discussing the best sports stories of 2023. That's right. So let's get it started. Let's go. We got the big storylines. Number one. Something that you were obsessed with, <laughs> and I understand. Shohei Otani season slash contract, 700 milli. That's more than Ben Johnson. Fire fizzle, West watching Shohei get all that money. I mean, big show. He began the year by striking oh, yeah. out Mike Trout to win the World Baseball Classic, and he ended it by getting a big bag. And, oh, yeah, he also won his second MVP 
dominated the game. I know you Babe Ruth guys, Mickey Mantle, whatever you want to say out there, but we've never seen anything like this. And because of that, he went into free agency as one of the biggest free agents in sports history, not just MLB history. He put ink to paper to 10 years, $700 million, the largest deal in professional sports history for the guy that I call a cartoon character, gets up there to the plate, knocks it out of the park, hits for a great percentage, and you will strike your ass out. So for that reason, Shohei Otani getting the biggest word to Rick Ross. The biggest bag is straight fire. You already know it's the big show. I love that you brought it and started it with the strikeout of Mike Trout. That yes. is such good context because you're right. Off the rip, we're talking Shohei Otani in a monster moment. Love that fire fizzle designation. Number two. College football expansion, transfer portal. Man, I know we were all worried about not being able to talk ball because it was all conference realignment. I think we did once the season started. But, man, what a big storyline it was. Was it fire or fizzle, though, Wes? Well, UCLA and Oregon now in the Big Ten. Texas and Oklahoma and the SEC. Colorado and Utah going to the Big 12. Florida State, Clemson, Carolina, and every other school in the ACC talking about going somewhere that they don't want them, so they need to stay where they're at. Then we've got 12 playoff teams coming up, players getting paid millions, pulling up the press conferences and Lamborghinis, big bags being delivered, millions upon millions given to 19, 20, 21-year-olds to either stay at the school or come to the school. Coaches, they just don't know what to do with themselves. You got to recruit your team, guys that you have already on your roster, and then recruit new players. College football, folks, is the wild, wild west. College football expansion, the transfer portal, NIL, all of it is straight by fizzle. I'm going to give it a little bit of both right there. The first five fizzle of five all fizzle time. Because it happened at the end of the race <laughs> in 23. Because as a fan, I'm excited <laughs> for the great interconference matchups we're going to have in these leagues. I like the 12 playoff teams now, especially with some of the controversy we had this season. And I do like the player empowerment. However, the transfer portal does irk me a bit as far as the timing of it. I saw Lane Kiffin finally something I agree with him on saying that you've never seen free agency start during the season. They do need to tweak that. So I like some of what's going on and I don't like some of what's going on. So B it's a five fizzle. Be five fizzle foe. That's right. He's done with it. <laughs> Number three, I know where this is going. I did, <laughs> no way I could have guessed what was happening last one, so maybe I just need to stop guessing. LeBron breaks the scoring record. Thomas Bryant posting up, calling for the ball as LeBron goes up to beat Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's all-time scoring record yes. by Fizzle West. Well, with 10.9 seconds left in the third quarter against Oklahoma City, LeBron sank a fadeaway jumper from the left elbow, scoring his 36-point of the game. And 38,388 points later, he surpassed the great Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. 
the great Lou Alcindor, whichever name you want to call him. He stretched his arms in celebration in the crypt. Crypto.com arena went crazy. Officials paused the game to honor him on the court where his mother, wife, and children met and embraced the man. NBA commissioner Adam Silver congratulated him and Kareem himself clapping, congratulating LeBron James to which he took the microphone and said, I just want to say thank you to the Laker faithful. You guys are one of a kind. LeBron James breaking the hollowed mark that we did not think that we were going to see broken in our lifetimes until he stepped into the NBA game is straight fire salute to LeBron I love seeing history surprising surprising y'all take your hat off man that's a lot of doggone points um I feel comfortable saying there's only one answer you can say on air here feel pretty comfortable with that okay (laughs) the next one on the list is the rise of women's sports Wes, go ahead and give us the only acceptable answer. Yeah, this year, the ladies stepped to the front of sports this year. The Women's World Cup was a huge success, even though the United States team got bounced. The University of Nebraska hosted a volleyball game. Biggest crowd ever to see a women's sporting event. Over 92,000 faithful. Coco Golf, Simone Biles, Asia Wilson, all had championship trophies going to their possession this year. And who could forget? The women's final four. Iowa's Caitlin Clark, LSU's Angel Reese put on a show and it was big time. Transcended the sport. Had all of the attention, whether it's negative or positive, for days upon weeks. So when you're talking about what all of these amazing women were able to do, as Walker said, there's only one way this is going. For all the ladies out there, it was straight fire salute. Big salute. Last one. Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. Yeah. Didn't expect this one to be dominating timelines, but boy, <laughs> has it ever. Does it every single week. We got TMZ reporting to the Swifties, hey, football practice is actually important to attend. For all the people <laughs> that don't know about the sport, is it all fire or fizzle, West? Well, listen, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey's relationship started July 2023 when he was spotted at the Eras Tour at Arrowhead State. <laughs> And then from there, he was seen watching the show from his private box. He was trading friendship bracelets with fans inside, and Travis had a special friendship bracelet for Taylor Swift that he wanted to get to her. But he was not able to do it. But he got help from friends and family of Taylor Swift, and off we went. Taylor Swift pulling up to the Chiefs games, the Swifties, diagramming plays, becoming the Ben Johnsons of the world, if you will. Aaron Johnson tried to knock him down like the hater that he is. It didn't work. And now we see them hugs and kisses, hanging with family members, all of the above. But the Chiefs are struggling. Travis Kelsey is struggling. He looks like he's about 55 out there running those routes. He's looking old and broke down and watched (laughs) this season. So when you talk about Taylor Swift, and Travis Kelsey. I don't even know what their couple name is, but it should be that they're straight. Fizzle, get the hell out of here. I'm getting tired of it, and I hate the Chiefs. You burn it. One last Cut that music off for the rest of 2023. Fitty, if you don't mind joining me in a round of applause and a standing ovation. That was the last one. What an incredible year of Wes Bryant's Fire or Fizzle to end it in 2023. 
I can't wait to see what's in store for 2024. Right. Plenty more fire fizzle. We just got to wait a little bit before we get there next week. But what an excellent end to the segment for 2023. And what an excellent end to this hour. We thank you. We got one more before we go to a Friday episode tomorrow from 12 to 3. One more hour to go. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.